said right. Welcome into Division Two Sports. Today is Thursday, March 25th. We have a jam-packed show for you today. Blake, Chris, and myself are recording live from the Gator House here in Milledgeville. Chris, we'll start with you. How's that bracket looking? Boys, it's been a tough, tough round one and two for the bracket. And uh, pay attention to our Twitter. Uh, we're actually going to run a little promotion, a um, Who's Worse Than Chris Challenge. I'm going to tweet out my bracket, and we want anyone uh, who's having some tough luck like me to, to respond with theirs. I could probably respond with mine because it is ass. If Michigan wins it all, it might save me, but uh, my bracket's pretty, uh, pretty brutal itself. So, Chris, don't feel too bad about it, man. Well, we got a great episode for all of our listeners. We will talk about how March Madness has unfolded heading into Sweet 16 on Saturday. Some brief NFL talk as the draft is quickly approaching and Major League Baseball as we are just one week away from opening day. But this show is headlined by our two interviews with Dunk City Captain Sherwood Brown and the number one prospect in the Los Angeles organization, Brandon Marsh. A lot of great content content with those guys, uh, but let's get into the Sweet 16. So the Sweet 16 is scheduled to kick off on Saturday, whereas other years it was Thursday and Friday. Very disappointing. Um, But we've progressed into the Sweet 16. The first two rounds concluded on Monday. And, man, were there a lot of upsets. Uh, an interesting stat here is that every seed won a game in the first round outside of the 16th seed. So that's 1 through 15 Holy shit. won a game. Now, that was headlined by number 15-seeded Oral Roberts, defeating number 2 Ohio State, blowing up a number of brackets, including mine. But, Blake, what were your takeaways from the opening rounds? It was awesome. It was, you know, full of upsets, completely against what I thought on my bracket. I went with, uh, you know... a pretty lame bracket just straight off the board for the most part picking the team with the higher seed in the majority of the uh, games in the first round the round of 64 that is so I was really surprised you know the biggest takeaways for me are sister Jean is back she is she is back like she never left and then you know we have FGCU part two with Oral Roberts man it's awesome to see these these you know low lower level schools come in and upset these big teams that are looking to come in and compete for a national championship. Not so fast, right? And uh, I love watching. I love watching these upsets. It's very exciting. I'm super excited to see if Oral Roberts can move into the Elite Eight as well. Yeah, I guess we are in fact uh, talking about Oral Roberts on this given Tuesday, Wednesday. Despite um, what Chris said, yes. Hoof, hoof. I did not believe in Sister Jean. I was mean to Sister Jean, and you know that proved to be costly. I will give myself a very slight pat on the back with, uh, I did have Syracuse getting up to the Sweet 16, and hey, I'll keep riding on Syracuse over Houston. And I mean, why would you not keep riding Loyola Chicago over Oregon State this week? I agree. I mean, Loyola Chicago, they played on Sunday. Why were people doubting them? It's Sister Jean praying for the team on a Sunday. I mean, they're obviously going to win, but they're going to play on Saturday now against Oregon State, who's had an unbelievable run, um, upsetting Tennessee, and then just dismantling Oklahoma State throughout the entirety of the game. Um, but at this point in the tournament, like I said, there's 16 teams left. Uh, the West, as of right now, you got Gonzaga, Creighton, USC, Oregon. I think that's the Zags to lose at this point. You know, you already had Kansas and Iowa wiped out. Oregon looks good. Um, but do you guys see any other team in the entire tournament upsetting the Zags? I personally think that, you know, there's a lot of teams in the tournament that are better than Gonzaga when it comes to overall level of play right now. I think Gonzaga's kind of had a little bit of an easier path. 
Um, no you doubt. know, I, I'm not trying to take away from what they've done, but there's a reason they're they're the clear cut team to win it all. They are talented. They do have the roster, but I still am rolling with Michigan out of the whole thing, and I also am gonna probably lean a little bit more towards. Uh, I really like Florida State. I was a hater of Florida State, but they impressed the hell out of me recently. Um, I know Ford was really excited about that. Uh, don't you? Do you have them in uh, in the Final Four? Is that in right? Final Four, yes. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's interesting, but uh, we'll we'll see exactly what happens. I'm still I'm still all in on Michigan, though. I'll leave it at that. Well, I guess Florida State will have to get through Michigan in order to uh, in, up their way to the Elite Eight. But uh, I agree with you when it comes to maybe Florida State can compete with them. But I don't know about anyone else in the field if they can compete with Gonzaga at this point. Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga's been absolutely dominant. They were 14-point favorites versus Oklahoma. Covered that spread. This week against Creighton, they're about the same. And, you know, I don't think anyone expects Creighton to move on. But the Zags are rolling. Uh, we'll see if any other team in the tournament can dismantle them. But I would be on the lookout for that Syracuse Orange. No one should doubt Mr. Beheim. The Pac-12 teams, man. Oh, unreal. Unreal. Unreal I mean, right now. You know, man. Oregon, you got, you got USC. USC was actually a team that I expected to be upset in the first round by Drake. So you look back now and you see how far they've came, and they're playing awesome basketball. So I'm interested to see what USC can do. Who do they uh, – they, they play Oregon, right? A battle of the mm-hmm. Pac-12 teams? That's mm-hmm. correct. So, you know, yep. I know, I know Oregon, Oregon's looking good too. They've, they've impressed early on in the tournament. But I think Oregon and Oregon State – being in the tournament at the same time is pretty unique also. I think it's one of the first few times that in the history of those two, you know, two teams that they've they've made it this far. I think it might be the first even. So something to keep an eye on. They could face each other if they continue to progress. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that about the uh, Pac-12. I mean, they've been unreal. I don't think they lost a game until, um, I, don't, I don't remember which one it was, but they were undefeated at some point. And it's just crazy to think about how everyone picks the Big Ten and they went six and eight, I think, in the first two rounds, whereas the Pac-12 was very underrated throughout the entirety of the year. So uh, we'll be on the lookout for those Pac-12 teams, and the Sweet 16 will kick off Saturday at 2.40 with Loyola Chicago playing Oregon State. But we will now move on to our interview with Florida Gulf Coast legend and member of Dunk City, the team that defeated Georgetown back in 2013. Crazy to think that was so long ago. Um, But Sherwood Brown... We caught up with him about his professional basketball career in Romania, the insane upset back in 2013 over Georgetown, and his take on how number 15 seeded Oral Roberts has managed to make such a run. So here he is, Sherwood Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. Today we are joined by the face of the 2013 Florida Gulf Coast Eagles that upset Georgetown, Mr. Sherwood Brown. Sherwood, welcome on to Division II Sports. Hey, man, I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. That's right. Well, Sherwood, let's catch our listeners up on where you are today. So you've continued living out your dream and are currently playing professional basketball in Romania. How's that been going for you and what keeps you playing the game of basketball? Um, well, let me ask you the first part of that question. Um, it's going really good. Um, I've been playing here in Romania now for the last uh, – this is my third season here. And, you know, every season um, I'm getting more used to the league, so my stats are just accelerating, so I'm doing much better year by year. 
And, you know, the reason I'm still playing the game is just simply for the love of the game, man. Um, you know, just ever since I started playing the game of basketball, I developed such a passion for it. And it's very hard for me to see myself, you know, living life without it. Um, next question we got for you is Sherwood. Um, let's go back to your upbringing. So you were born in Columbus, but how did you end up at Florida Gulf Coast and what was the recruiting process like for you? Um, honestly, you know, you know, even though I was, you know, one of the top scorers on my high school team and top rebounders, for some reason, I kind of still got overlooked uh, from the, um, you know, from the recruitment process. Uh, maybe I was because I was a little skinny at the time. You know, I'm, I'm like what people like to call a late bloomer. So, you know, I was really skinny when I entered university. And then, you know, it wasn't until my sophomore year that I started to fill out and get a lot bigger and stronger. But um, actually, it was kind of difficult to see, you know, all my, my classmates and teammates get Division One offers from these pretty good schools. And, you know, they already kind of had their the next four years mapped out for them already. And I was, you know, still undecided on what I wanted to do. It even came thoughts in my mind of maybe I, you know, won't play basketball in college. I'll just go to college because I always had good grades. So I thought maybe I would just go to college and just be a regular student. And then um, Florida Golf Coast came around and they offered me a walk-on position. And with the, um, with the understanding that if I played up to my potential that first year, then I could earn a scholarship for the following years. So, you know, it comes up to a point in life where sometimes you just got to bet on yourself. And I figured that if basketball is something I want to do, then, you know, I got to take this risk. And I did, and it just happened to work out for me. So, sure, we're getting into 2013. You helped bring FGCU uh, the Atlantic Sun title, which gave you all the automatic bid, uh, bid to the big dance. Uh, can you talk us through the team's approach headed into the tournament and what it meant to you to win a couple games in the tournament? Um, are you referring to the, um, the A-Sun tournament or the NCAA tournament? Um, the NCAA, after y'all won the A-Sun. Okay. So, uh, obviously, we were really excited to, uh, to win the A-Sun tournament. You know, I got to give credit to those teams because there was a lot of good teams coming out of A-Sun that year as well as Mercer University, um, to be example, for an example. Um, but, you know, we were excited to win that. And then, you know, we we're looking forward to Selection Sunday. Obviously, we didn't know who we were going to get. And then we found out that we would be playing against Georgetown. We were already very excited just because we were going to be on the, the special, the Selection Sunday special. Um, and we knew that the uh, film or the news would be there and recording us and stuff. But then when we found out that we would be playing against Georgetown, we figured that we really had a good chance to, uh, to move on to the next round because of their playing style and our playing style, we felt like we had the advantage. Right, so Sherwood, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that tournament run, man, because that's when y'all became Dunk City, right? So talk me a little bit through what exactly was Dunk City, and then also, you know, back to your emotions a little bit after the clock did hit triple zero against Georgetown. What was that like? And, you know, did it feel like you were kind of becoming a superstar? All right, so, um, you know, first, you know, let me tell you, Dunk City, obviously we didn't get the name until after, um, you know, our little – during our run in the tournament. But honestly, 
it was like that all season, man. We just didn't get so much um, television time being a kind of a lower school, a lower level school, but we were throwing alley-oops the whole year, dunking on our opponent the whole season, just having fun. And that's really what Dunk City is all about, man. Just, you know, going out there, playing hard and having a good time and enjoying playing the game. Um, the next part of your question, I, I feel like you, you asked how to feel when we hit the double, the triple zero. Well, you know, I think we kind of started to celebrate a little bit before it actually hit triple zero, because uh, we started feeling ourselves. But, uh, you know, after we, you know, actually happened and we realized that, damn, we making it to the next round, it was just an overwhelming um, feeling for us, man. Like, we could see actually the um the fans from the game that played before us they even started jumping behind our bandwagon and cheering us on so it's basically like the whole gym in philadelphia was cheering for us the whole game so that felt good too and then like i said it was an overwhelming experience after we realized that we actually won the game but then at the same time you know that that overwhelming experience was kind of short-lived because we knew we had another game tomorrow or the next day and so we wanted to just carry on um, that momentum to the next game and just keep it going as long as we could. Right. You already led me into the next part I had here for you, man. So let's talk about the next round. So the round of 32, which made you guys end up going on to the Sweet 16, where you became the first team, obviously, as a 15 seed to make the Sweet 16 ever. So can you kind of just uh, take me through exactly what was going on in that game and then did, uh, did the fact that maybe, you know, y'all were about to become, you know, forever in history cross your mind at all in that point? Actually, no, I didn't think about that part, um, the being immortalized in history. I didn't really think about that part during the game. Honestly, um, maybe this is pretty arrogant to say, but, you know, I felt like, you know, we were the better team. It didn't matter who we were playing against in the next round. I remember we, was, we were watching film. For the next for the next game against San Diego State, and I really wasn't paying attention so much. Now in my head, I was like, "Well, you know, we beat the number two or three seed already, so why we can't beat the number seven seed?" So I was just really, you know, more focused on our team, and you know, in my head, just thinking that we got what it takes to beat whoever we play against. It doesn't matter who it is. So you know. And then I figured out who we were playing against the next round. I didn't, it wasn't until the game actually started and I was watching the team kind of watching them while playing against them. I was like, oh, damn, these dudes is pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, still though, I felt like we had a chance to just keep going. And, you know, that's what happened, man. We just believed in ourselves and we pushed through to the next round. Right, Sherwood. Unfortunately, um, after that game, Florida Gulf Coast is unable to move past the Sweet 16. But as you know, there is a new number 15 seed on the block this year. The Oral Roberts, Roberts, right? Golden Eagle, yeah. yes, sir. Um, they are set to face the number three seeded Arkansas Razorbacks and are 11 point underdogs after two mm. impressive upsets. So I want to ask you have you been following the Golden Eagles at all? And do you think that they have what it takes to defeat Arkansas? Man, unfortunately, it's very hard for me to um, to keep up with all the NCAA games. But, you know, I didn't know that, you know, they kind of, you know, followed in our footsteps until recently. And then, you know, I've started to pay more attention. Um, I'm definitely going to be in tune to that next game because I would love to see them make it on to the Elite Eight round. You know, that would be great, I feel like, for college basketball. 
Um, and I also think that, you know, there's a lot of upsets going on um, this year from my understanding. And I think that's also very good for college basketball. It, it kind of shows that, you know, when it comes down to this part of the season, at least, that it's all about the team who's, who's vibing the best and who has the most chemistry. Um, you know, the teams, not, not necessarily their name. Like a lot of times uh, people think about the, the name of the school or something like that. But at the end of the day, man, it's all about the players and who's who's more into it and who's who likes their teammates more and you know who's just willing to die on the court. So sure, later that year in 2013, Dunk Shady won the ESPY for best upset. What was that experience like for you, your teammates, and your coaches? Man, that that probably I don't know. I don't. I can't even tell you which was a better feeling, making it to the Sweet 16 or being on that stage and uh, receiving that ESPY award. But that receiving that SP was, man, it was very amazing. Just being on the stage in front of all these great athletes. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, I think there was some actors in this, some actors and actresses also in the crowd. I was like kind of starstruck. Um, I was even supposed to speak, uh, but I froze up because I was actually, I was so starstruck just looking in the crowd. It was just an amazing experience, man. That was, you know, definitely, one of the top experiences in my life so far. Right. And uh, if I remember correctly, the team did have a little bit of a run-in with uh, UFC star Misha Tate backstage, right? That kind of went viral, <laughs> if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't really, I didn't really know uh, who she was at that time. But um, I think I tried to talk to her. And I was like, hey, man, she, she looks pretty good. So I tried to talk to her. And um, then she was like, yeah, I, you won't even remember it, whatever, something like that. I was like, oh, she kind of spicy. <laughs> but, uh, and then afterwards, I figured out who she was. I was like, oh, snap. I better watch myself. <laughs> yeah, man, definitely, though. Awesome opportunity for you guys to get to do that. But I kind of want to shift gears back to uh, your, your playing days now over in, uh, overseas, of course. So, you know, you went from the American style of play to now a Romanian style of basketball. How has that kind of transition been for you? And has it been tough adjusting to the time at all? Um, well, you know, Romania is like, what, I think the eighth country that I've played professionally in. So um, it wasn't so hard to adjust once I got here because I had already played in so many different countries. But, you know, just from the overseas experience in, in general, um, at first it was a big adjustment for me, especially with the time zone thing and trying to stay in contact with my friends and family because, you know, they might be working when I'm sleeping or they're awake when I'm asleep or, you know, I'm awake when they're asleep. So it's just kind of hard to coordinate a good time to try to communicate. But, you know, I got through that part of it. Um, sometimes I get a little uh, homesick because, you know, at the end of the day, Especially now being in Romania this season, I'm like the only American on my team. And my, my teammates are a bunch of great guys and we all get along very well. But, you know, there's still this kind of difference between, you know, them being Romanian and some of my teammates are Serbian and me being American. So some things, you know, we don't necessarily see eye to eye on. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really enjoy the experience um, of all the countries that I've been and I enjoy uh, spending time in different cultures and just getting to learn about the rest of the world. 
Well, Sherwood, that will wrap it, us, wrap it up for us here at Division Two. Uh, we'd like to thank the legend Sherwood Brown for his time and his insight. Thank you, uh, a great, great honor getting to interview you, and we wish you all the best as you continue your, your professional basketball career. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you guys having me, man. It's been, it's been a great show. Welcome back into the show. Great stuff there from Sherwood Brown, and we will see if Oral Roberts can continue it um, this Saturday against Arkansas. But we'll now move on to NFL. So free agency is kind of wrapping up at this point. The Bucks talent is not leaving Tampa Bay. The Super Bowl champions have pretty much retained their whole roster outside of Leonard Fournette with another Super Bowl run likely. Uh, Blake, I'll start with you. How much does this say about how good this Bucks GM is? He's the best in the league right now. No one's messing with him. I said it last episode. Build the statue. It sucks as Falcons fans because I've always kind of, you know, not had anything out for the Bucks. I've always rooted for them in a way because they've been so irrelevant in the division, I feel like, my whole life. I never saw that team win the Super Bowl with John Gruden, Warren Sapp, and those guys. So we've really not had to compete with them. But Jason Light is unbelievable. And... The fact that Ndamukong Sue represented himself to not have to pay a cut to the agent is badass. So, shouts out to those guys, and the Bucks are going to continue to reign. Yeah, Jason Like and the other Mike Greenberg actually is helping him run the show over there. Uh, they had just enough money to keep all their guys around, and they did exactly that. And I'm, you know, I mean, from a, putting the best competitive product on the field standpoint, I think that that was a good move. I, I'd say all those guys coming back, except maybe Donovan Smith who uh, they signed today. It was like two years, and they're getting about $30 million guaranteed. He's their starting left tackle, who really never played that great uh, this past season, nor in his career. Um, I'd say that's the only questionable move from Jason Lake and the boys over there so far. Yeah, but the Bucks will be a force to be reckoned with, no doubt about it. And uh, unfortunately, the Falcons will have to deal with it. But let's talk about the Falcons. So the Falcons this week signed Mike Davis to add to their running back depth. depth excuse me. Um, but they Don't lost. Say death. But they lost center Alex Mack to the San Francisco 49ers. I know a lot of people saw that coming. Um, it is a reunion of Alex Mack and Kyle Shanahan out in San Francisco. Um, but that's going to be a hold of, or a, a void to fill. You know, me and Blake were talking about it. There's so many centers on the market last week, and we thought that maybe Fontenot would go after one of them. But as we're looking more and more like it. Matt Hennessy will probably have to take a huge step uh, as the center this year. Yeah, um, Hennessy last year was interesting because we still did have Alex Mack, but Mack, if I remember correctly, went out with an injury at one point. Missed and, a few games. And yeah. he missed a few games, and Hennessy stepped up, and I don't remember him looking that bad. So all these Twitter critics and, you know, genius GMs sitting on their couches right now listening to this episode, pump the brakes on the Matt Hennessy hate. I don't, I don't think we've given this guy a fair chance. And, you know, that goes for a lot of the guys on the offensive line. They're young. We don't know if they're going to be good. Matt, Matt Hennessy and, you know, we have Matt Gano. Um, we have, of course, Caleb McGarry, the late first-round pick that Thomas Dimitrov traded up for to get. You also have um, Chris Lindstrom, who's shown incredible flashes of being a very elite offensive lineman at one point. And then, of course, you have Jake Matthews. He's the odd guy here in this whole situation. So I could actually see the Falcons maybe looking to go tackle in this draft and maybe try to move one of the two tackles that we currently have inside and not really look to upgrade at center. 
I think that the center position in this draft isn't weak, but I feel like every year, like at least the last two years, Cushenberry was a center last year, right? And, uh, or, or yeah. one of the top centers, if I remember correctly, last year. Ruiz, too. Right, you had Ruiz. And, I mean, there, it was just not a super exciting market for centers in the draft. So I don't expect Terry Fontenot to be jumping out of his seat to go draft a center, especially in the first few rounds, maybe later. But tackle and guard, depending on availability, could be something they focus on. But it's, uh, it's sad to see Alex Matt go, especially because we thought he was going to retire. And now he's playing for our boy Shanahan. So it kind of sucks. I wish he was still with us. But, you know, you can't make everything work in, in, a, in a constrained year due to the cap. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and uh, ask any Falcons fan to get very excited over Mike Davis. But at the end of the day, he's an NFL running back who's proven that in multiple places. And coming off his best season, when he's, which he just had in Carolina. And uh, when it comes to Matt Hennessy, uh, I, I haven't exactly seen a lot of the hate. But I'm not as in-depth on Falcons Twitter uh, as these two guys. But Matt Hennessy was a bit. I was a big fan of his coming out of the draft last year. I wanted the Jets to go out and get him. Um, you know, he had that year to kind of learn and sit, and now he's going to be learning uh, a little bit newer of an offense and easier offense for offensive linemen to play in, uh, in my opinion. So I'm all here for Matt Hennessy. I think he is very capable of having a good season. Him next to Lindstrom and maybe another guy, you know, we could see the interior offensive line of the Falcons uh, quite possibly be a strength for them. So I'm looking here at like a mock draft that I see, and – Rayshon Slater mm-hmm. is the number one. Is yeah, correct from Northwestern is the number one available center, but the thing about him, if I remember correctly, is that he also played either tackle or guard. I believe he's a tackle, but they're so, talking about a playing guard. Right, but it's just interesting because it's it's a market that you're going to have to at least think about if you're Terry Fontenot. So the Falcons are in a tough spot a little bit with that situation. Well, let's talk about another market that pretty much got knocked out uh, this week, the wide receiver market. So the, the market for wide receivers is pretty much done as Kenny Galladay joined the Giants this week, uh, Will Fuller joined the Dolphins, and Juju Smith-Schuster took a pay cut to stay with the Steelers. Chris, which of these moves did you like the best? Um, probably the best. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna roll with uh, Kenny G to the Giants. Um, Kenny G, I think, is an outstanding football player. That's never been a question. Uh, Minitron, it's just if he can stay healthy or not. Um, so I'm going to roll with Kenny G with the Giants on that one. I'm going to roll with Corey Davis still. I think Corey Davis is still so elite, or excuse me, still has the potential to become an elite player. And his best days are ahead of him. I said it last episode, and I still ride with that. I still don't know about Kenny Galladay, man. I know that the injuries, people are saying not to worry about it as much, but that does worry me. He didn't play barely any time, if any, last season, like one or two games. And that's not that's not comforting to me if you're paying a wide receiver with a market in the draft with so many that you can just go take a shot on. Um, I don't really like that move a ton. I think that there were other guys on the market that I like more. And, you know, a couple of other guys are on the market still at receiver, but nobody that you're going to be super excited about. Is Larry Fitzgerald playing next year? Uh, last I heard, I know the Cardinals were giving him some time to hang around for a little bit. So he's kind of getting the chance to make his decision. But if the Cardinals, you know, don't want to keep him around, that could be interesting if someone decides to bring him in on a one or two year deal. He's probably the biggest name free agent that's still out there. So we'll see what happens there at the wide receiver market. Yeah, well, free agency is pretty much up. Uh, the one of the only notable names out there is Leonard Fournette. So we'll see if the Bucks can retain him as well. Um, but the draft is about a month away. 
there's no combine as we know due to COVID, but the, a lot of pro days have been going on um, this past week. A lot of notable pro day performances, um, guys shooting up boards due to their performances. Um, I believe Bama had their either, I think yesterday, a lot, lot of talent obviously on, on that one. But uh, Chris, is there anyone that you saw so far in the pro day that just jumps off the page? Uh, yeah, uh, Alabama offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood had an amazing pro day. A very uh, his numbers were very very awesome. Some comparable to Trent Williams back in the day. Uh, Leatherwood's a dude who played offensive tackle for Alabama, and he was kind of he's been projected as a very top pick uh, for last year. Lately, a lot of guys have only seen him going second to third round. Uh, as scouts kind of see him more as a guard in the NFL. Which position he'll play, I'm not sure, but Leatherwood jumped off the page for me. Leatherwood is a guy that I think that, you know, should get a lot of looks. He's he's a very, very talented offensive lineman, but I think that the guy to watch out of all of this that I didn't even mention to you guys yet, but he's a guy that I remember Desmond Howard saying last year could be a Heisman candidate, Rondale Moore. He ran a four two eight forty today, or excuse me, yesterday. And I know 40s are, are always going to have the asterisk next to him, especially during a pro day, you know, the unofficial time or whatever, but... 429 is basically what Henry Ruggs ran last year. And I'm not saying Henry Ruggs was a great pro player his first year in the league, but he was a first-round pick. First receiver off the board last year, if I remember correctly. And with Ruggs, you know, he was drafted, I think, more so because of his speed. And I think that you could see Rondale Moore maybe getting a boost due to that. And all those Alabama dudes had an incredible pro day. I think that the story of the whole deal, though, is probably Najee Harris not even participating in the pro day missing his flight or having his flight canceled and then driving nine hours to get to Dallas to, to go and watch the, the pro day, watch his teammates. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, shows that he's a, a team player. And I think that that'll help his draft stock, not, not hurt it, even though he didn't participate. Yeah. There's just going to be a lot of storylines leading up to this draft and we cannot uh, wait to till draft day. Um, but we'll move on to the MLB. Uh, so baseball is coming, folks. So we're less than one week away from opening day. Um, before we get started on any news, I do want to preface this by saying we do have a jam-packed show next week. Um, all things Braves. It's going to be long. Anything you need to know about this season. Um, so we're very, very excited about that. Um, but let's get into some Braves news. So today the Braves optioned Kyle Wright and Jacob Webb to Gwinnett. Um, Snitker continues to make roster moves for the Braves. Um, but what does this really say about how the bullpen is going to be shaping out as we get to opening day? Well, the bullpen is in fine shape. Um, you know, we, we didn't go in and make any big splashes in free agency when it comes to the bullpen, but we didn't really need to because we did that last year. We started stockpiling with these guys like Martin, and then you also were able to go get a guy like Will Smith from the Giants last offseason. Now, you're, you're kind of still questioning the closer a little bit just based off spring training because A.J. Minter looked excellent. And I think that he may deserve a look just based off the way that he played in the playoffs and then what we've seen from him. And I think Snicker really likes him. Going back to the starting rotation, I think that you're going to see Bryce Wilson, I like to call him Ice Wilson, at the five spot. I think that our rotation is set in stone. Drew Smiley is a guy that may be the number five. But to start the season, Soroka's not in the rotation. They've made that very clear. Brian Snicker has already said Mike Soroka is, is on pace but will not be in the rotation to start the season. So the rotation is going to have some time to really just work itself out. 
um, we're going to either see Smiley or uh, Bryce Wilson, you know, walk away with the five spot once Soroka comes back and they'll stick with that five-man rotation. Also want to just touch on Acuna real quick because he is killing spring training and uh, the MVP odds, I, I am a uh, former MVP, MVP winner champion when it comes to uh, betting here. So I will tell you the Acuna odds are going to continue to go up. Hold off, wait a little bit until the season in case he gets off to a slow start, and then hammer those because this guy hits uh, Truist Park better than anyone, and with the fans, I think he's in for a hell of a year. Yeah, um, Braves. I mean, everyone's pumped about the Braves coming back, and they're, the Sun Truist Park announced, or Truist Park, excuse me, announced that they will be doing 30% to start, and then they are going to progress to 50% and then 100% by All-Star Weekend, which is awesome. Um, so we look forward to that. We look forward to hearing a lot of chopping uh, come this summer. But we will wrap up the show with our interview with the number one prospect in the Los Angeles uh, Angels organization, Brandon Marsh. He talks with us about the transition to the big leagues, playing with Mike Trout, and much more. But thank you all for listening today. Uh, here is future star outfielder Brandon Marsh. Today, we are joined by one of the MLB's top 100 prospects in 2021, LA Angels outfielder, Brandon Marsh. Marsh, how we doing, man? Doing good, man, over here in AC. How are you all? Doing good, man. So, uh, Brandon, I got to ask you, man, when did you start playing baseball? For the listeners that don't know, we know you went to Buford, but we're curious. How long, you know, did you, did you uh, really, really wonder exactly how long it was going to take to get drafted itself? And then when did it hit you that you were going to make it to the big leagues? Well, I started playing ball when I was three, man, T-ball, uh, over in Decula. But, uh, you know, um, I haven't, uh, I haven't really, I haven't really felt, I haven't got to the big leagues yet. So, I mean, I'm here in spring training playing with the guys, but uh, it's it's been a surreal feeling, man. It's uh, just a, a, a lot of the hard work that I put in really just, it's just showing that it's paying off. So, uh, yeah, man, having fun out here. All right, and so uh, following up with that, you had the option to play college ball, and you were actually committed to Kennesaw State at one point. But uh, what was it like when you got the call from the Angels back in the 2016 draft, and how tough was that decision for you to make? Uh, the decision, uh, it was tough because at the time, man, Kennesaw was going crazy. You know, they uh, just went to a super regional like the year before that, and so I really wanted to go there help the program and get, get to that extra step. But, I mean, getting the call from the Angels, it was like a dream come true. You know, all the all the weekends spent, you know, weekdays spent at practice and all that, it, it, uh, it just showed that it was, uh, it was all worth it, you know. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun with it. I'm glad I made the decision I did. That was, uh, I was a little skeptical at first, you know, because I, I didn't know if I was ready being at 18. Uh, but, you know, we hit the ground running, and it's been, it's been fun ever since, bro. Yeah, I think you can say it's working out so far. <laughs> yeah, man, it's not there yet, bro, but it's we're getting there. We're on the way. Definitely, man. So uh, Joe Madden just spoke to the media here over the last few days and said you were kind of dealing with a little bit of a minor arm injury. Can you kind of tell him what's going on with you and uh, also how you're feeling behind the plate? Yeah, man, so, no, just my arm's just a little sore, so uh, – 
we're just giving it some time to rest. We uh, did some throws the other day, and uh, it just just got I just got tired, and uh, so I just I'm just taking a couple of days before anything bad were to ever happen. So, um, but uh, behind the plate, man, it feels good. You know, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm being more aggressive this year than last year. So, getting some swings off, seeing where I'm at, seeing what I need to fix. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been great. Uh, just gotta, just gotta keep, keep the head down, and keep going. All right, and then so up to this point in your baseball career, I know it's still very early on, but what's been your favorite moment you've been, uh, you've got to experience so far? Probably playing in, uh, in Anaheim against the Dodgers. You know, uh, at a series right after spring training before the season starts. Uh, just being there and the crowd. I mean, it, it was, it was packed. It was like damn near sold out, and I couldn't even hear myself talk. <laughs> just to myself I couldn't really it was it was literally like the movies like whenever you would run you would hear like boo, boo, boo. so it was uh that was probably one of my most memorable moments uh uh yeah I, I can't find any that could beat that one right and you know man it's early on in your career so that we know there's plenty of more memories you know ahead of you so I know that you're a baseball fan, I assume, going back to your, uh, you know, your career early on back at Buford. So I want to ask you, did you ever have an MLB comparison for you that made sense? I've heard a lot of Charlie Blackman, even a little bit of Black Bryce Harper. Did you ever emulate any of those guys' games growing up? Um, offensively, I never really tried to copy anyone or mimic anyone. But uh, I, in high school, I got compared to Hunter Pence a lot. Yeah. <laughs> From a lot of scouts and it threw me off at first just seeing how like different he was but uh but I've been a hundred pence fan ever since uh people started uh giving me that comparison so I think he's a phenomenal player but um yeah the Charlie, the Charlie Blackman I think they just say that because of their looks because the hair and the beard you think so the, the beard and the hair is a giveaway right there yeah I would say I would say physically I wouldn't compare myself to him he, he's right he's gifted. Super gifted man. So right. uh, I got a lot. I got a lot of shoes to fill. If people are saying Charlie Blackman, so <laughs> right. So I want to ask you here. You know, which you know, which pitcher would you be most interested in to get your first major league hit off of? Wow, um, that's a tough one. First major league pitcher that I get my first hit off of. Yeah. Or the, the, the pitcher that I get my first hit off of? Right, right, of? right. Yeah. For first major league hit, who would you ideally get your first hit off of in a perfect world? I mean, it's got to – oh, my gosh. I would say, like – I would say, like, a Garrett Cole would be crazy. Oh, yeah, just, man. You know? I, I would just – seeing how dominant he is, you know, and how he, he's been in the past and will continue to be, that would uh, – that would be, be a really – a really cool first hit for me. Yeah, that'd be a hell of a first hit right there. Could you imagine, uh, you know, doing it, doing it in the big time? You know that the the Angels have high expectations going into into the season, especially with the fans on Twitter who are a big fan of yours. So I want to ask you, what are your personal goals for the 2021 season? I'm just gonna keep it simple. I don't like to make like any like statistical goals, uh, but I just I want to get through the year healthy and. I want, to, I want to be up there with the guys and uh, make my debut this year and uh, continue to stay up there. So uh, those those two main things, is uh, they, they, those are my main, main goals for this year. 
And then so uh, Joe Madden, he became the Angels manager last season. What all have you learned from him and what kind of has he brought to the team that's something different you haven't seen in the past? So Madden, he's he he's a he, he's like a wizard, man. He he blends in everywhere, bro. He's uh he knows how to make good relations with the good relationships with the players and uh on a personal level to where they know the players know that he's there for us and he's got our back. So I've never really seen like a more hands-on like manager before. So that's really that that's a really cool characteristic of him. That's what he's brought into the clubhouse that changed it around for sure. Um, but what was your other question? And then so uh, just another. I know it's rumored to be Albert Pujols' last season ever playing in baseball. Just what has he brought to the team and what does he mean to the Angels organization? He's like he, Albert. I mean, he, he's goaded, man. So he's he he knows how to bring in young players and just teach them like the men, the mental side of the game, just how to just how to keep your head on straight even when the times are going bad. I mean, we have a bunch of players we can learn from physically, but I think Albert really helps. Really, really helps us like just keep our head above water and just teach us how to deal with failure. Right. And, you know, he's an older guy in the clubhouse, which is always important to have around. But you as a young guy in the clubhouse, you're incredibly close with Joe Adele. I know from Alex and Jacob that you room with him and, you know, you're out there living in Anaheim with him. So I want to ask, what is it like having a guy like Joe up there in the locker room with you kind of going through the same experience you are right now? Joe's the best, man. He's uh, the the phrase you want to talk with people who – who want the same thing as you and like are on the same like path as you and Joe, I mean, we're right there together. So, I mean, he pushes me every day, even off the field. That's, that's why, that's why I'm here with him. And, you know, he's the energy he brings in every day at the clubhouse is impeccable, man. You know, he's always vibing, listening to music, which I'm doing the same thing, but he's more, he's more loud with it just because he's got that confidence about himself. And it's, uh, and it's, it, it spreads and it, goes from player to player and so that's just how we're all coming together and you know it's I mean I'm super excited this year right and Brandon you know you have high expectations going into this year for yourself and also for the team so speaking of another guy with high expectations you're looking to join an outfield this year with you know maybe Mike Trout who arguably is the best player in baseball so I want to ask has he given you any advice during this new phase of your baseball career going through the fact that he went through it as well um not so much advice it's just he he leads by his actions so he's he's the type of guy who's not he's he's not gonna you know talk crap or any of that he's not gonna try to do that he's gonna he's gonna beat you on the field and uh he he exemplifies that every day that work ethic of him and he it just it's just like joe with his energy you know it's just contagious and it pours into us and makes us want to work harder and try to be more like his status, you know, the GOAT. So, and argue, I, I want to correct you. He is the best player in baseball. Thank you. Not yeah, not, I agree. I, just <laughs> <laughs> I agree. No, I'll, I'll accept the correction because I do agree with you. He is, he is honestly the most underrated player that I probably have ever seen. Um, you know, he deserves that recognition. I'm glad that you give it to him being a teammate as well, which is cool to hear. Yeah, no, he's – and even off the field, he's even a better dude. So he's he's definitely taking me under his wing and just kind of, kind of showing me showing me like the path. So he's a super cool dude, super cool dude. And so we've touched on Mike and uh, 
and Albert and Joe, but who else in the Angels organization would you say has had the biggest impact on your development over the years? Oof. Um, Player-wise or uh, staff-wise? Player, staff, just anyone that stands out to you personally. Um, you know, I'd say, uh, I mean, Fowler, just in his short time being here, he's already taught me things and just how to go about my business in the game of ball, the game of baseball. Fowler's already helped me in my game tremendously. Um, but, I mean, you got uh, – when we had Cole Calhoun, he was, he was a man before we gave him to the D-backs. But uh, Calhoun was probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, vets to uh, be around just because, you know, he's a grinder. He's undersized and uh, always just the underdog just due to his size. So he's, and I, and he's, a, he's a hell of a player to me and, and a lot of other people's eyes. But Calhoun, he really, he, he, he showed me how to work. So, and that's, that's what I take with me into the, into the clubhouse every day on the field. Absolutely, Brandon. And, you know, you've been doing that so far this spring, and I want to touch on the spring with you here. So what's the spring been like for you, and has it been a little bit different for you going into this season with a little bit higher expectations than you had when you first came into the league? Uh, the expectations going into this year? Right. Uh, I would say my expectations for this year is, is always going to be more than last year. So it's – we're open for a lot of wins in, in Anaheim. So whether I'm there or not, we have a nasty team. Uh, so the expectations, we're going to go to the playoffs and make a run, you know? Right. And Brandon, so I, I got to ask one more question with you. Who yeah. wins in a fight, uh, Alex Andronica or Jacob Cardiello? <laughs> oh, uh, Cardi, Cardiello, he's been uh, – He's getting fit. He, you know, he's losing some weight, cutting down, looking good. But Andronica, he, he's a different specimen, you know. You look at him, you know, he's he's got the eight-pack, all the striations, you know, the strong guy. So I'm probably going to have to go with Alex. Sorry, Cardi. Yeah, man, Cardi, Cardi's going to have a tough one with that. But uh, we'll let it slide here. So uh, that's going to wrap it up from us here at Division Two with uh, Brandon Marsh. We really appreciate the time from uh, potentially the next great Angels outfielder. Uh, it means a lot to us for you coming on, man, and uh, we hope to stay in contact, and we're looking forward to rooting for you guys this year. Hey, man, appreciate you guys having me. This was fun. Do it again in the future, and uh, appreciate the support, and we'll be in touch for sure. Thank you for listening to Division Two Sports. For all Division Two Sports news, follow us on social media at Division underscore Two Sports. You can go, y'all.